Caroline. So before we um, jump in, today is Trinity Sunday, and uh, we're going to talk about some kind of deep things today. Uh, the Trinity is one of the hardest um, pieces of our faith to understand, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But before we do that, just, just one, a couple of little things I want you to know about the Trinity. One is that we had our gospel today from Matthew 28, and the very last thing that Jesus ever says is he commands us, and the, he commands the apostles, the first priests, to go baptize everyone in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church did that. We know historically that the church went out and started baptizing people. Today's dogma of the Trinity is something every Christian accepts. It's one of those baseline, like when people say, are you a Christian or not? If you don't really have the dogma of the Trinity, people will say, and both Catholics and, and non-Catholic Christians will say, you cannot be a Christian if you don't believe in the Trinity. Now, here's just an interesting thing to think about. The dogma of the Trinity, we have it today because the Catholic Church defined it 400 years after the death, ascension, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. Right, in, the, in the late 3rd century, someone named Arius, who was a heretic, that's another like synonym for punk, total punk, he said that Jesus wasn't really God. He said, yeah, he redeemed us, but he was, he's not equal to God the Father. He's not really God. And he challenged that. And guess what he used to defend his beliefs? He used this book. And it caused these huge debates in the church and in the Council of Nicaea in 325 and then the Council of Constantinople in 381 and then at Chalcedon in 415. The church defined what we believe today as the Trinity. And the only reason Christians believe in the Trinity today as baseline is because of the Catholic Church. Pretty interesting, huh? Okay, so now what you know what a punk is, let's dive into this. So something wild happened. If you go to Jerusalem, and I, I talk about that a lot, but you have to go. Jerusalem's amazing. And if you study the, the Jews in the ancient world at the time of Christ, the temple is central. Right, and the temple in the ancient world in, in Jerusalem is one of the ancient wonders of the world. It was a, a, a temple so large, it was the greatest temple in the ancient world. Commentators used to say that Jerusalem wasn't a city with a temple. Rather, Jerusalem was a temple, a giant temple with a little city around it. It was magnificent. It was the center of everything. Jews believed it was the one place where heaven touched earth. It was the place where the forgiveness of sins happened. It was the place where all of God's creation would be renewed. In the fall of 63 BC, a very wild thing happened. The Jews, it was a tumultuous world at that time, and the Romans had taken power in Israel. And in 63 BC, a Roman general named Pompey went to Jerusalem, and he was fascinated by the temple. 
right? Because it was, it was beautiful. It was glorious. It was just awe-inspiring. And Pompey walked into the temple, which you are not allowed to do if you're a non-Jew. He walked right into the temple, and then he kept going. He went not just into the temple, he went into the center, the Holy of Holies, which only the high priest could enter. And everyone's in shock, right? If you're a Jewish person, this is a very bad moment. And Pompey is looking at this amazing temple, and he walks to the center, and he got right to the middle of the temple, and he says what he saw there when he walked into the Holy of Holies was the most amazing thing he had ever seen in his life. The most shocking thing. You know what he saw? Nothing. He saw an empty space. And he couldn't believe it because there was nothing in the world like it. Why is that so important? If you're an ancient pagan, if you went to any temple, think about this. Brothers and sisters, if you went to any temple in the ancient world, and they were everywhere, right? There's, there's temples for Zeus and Hermes and Aphrodite and Jupiter and Mars and Neptune and all these different gods and goddesses. And you go into a temple, you walk into the center, what do you find at the center of that temple? I know it's hard to talk with the fans on. You find at the center of a temple a magnificent statue of that god. Remember the Disney movie Hercules? Come on, I know you've seen it. I, I love that movie. If you remember that movie, right, uh, Hercules walks into the temple of Zeus. And Zeus is supposedly his father. It's all a myth. This mic doesn't work. But anyway, he walks in, and there's this giant statue of Zeus. If you lived in the ancient world, that's what you expected. You go into a temple, you find a statue of the god. And Jews, they walk into the Holy of Holies, only the high priest could, and there's nothing there. You can see why the ancient Romans and Greeks, many of them considered Jews to actually be atheists. And I hope that's intrigued you. Why is that? Why? Why wouldn't the Jews have a statue of God? Why wouldn't they have an image of him at the center? And I want to take you deep into something very profound and beautiful that our faith gives us. One of the greatest dangers of being a human being is projection. What I mean by that is that all through human history, brothers and sisters, what happens it's you and I, and we're still tempted to do this. If you think this is just about the ancient world, wake up. This is about all of us. One of the things that you and I are tempted to do is we're created to project our own image onto God. Right, the, the ancient pagans, they projected onto the gods what they understood. And so you have Zeus, who's a god of power. Right? And you have, god, you have a goddess of 
beauty, and you have gods of wisdom, you have gods of strength, you have a god of the sea, and a god of the sky, and a god of fire, you have gods of storm. And they made gods out of all of these things. Here's what St. Paul says in Romans chapter 1 about that. And one of the points I want to make today with you brothers and sisters is that idolatry is an extremely dangerous thing. In the Bible, idolatry is one of the things that is condemned more strongly than just about anything. First commandment condemns it. So in Romans chapter 1, St. Paul says this, and he goes through and he's talking about all the pagans, and he's talking about how they saw all these things in the world, and they worship them as gods when they should have seen that obviously those aren't gods but there's someone who stands behind them and he says because they did this therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The ancient Jews knew, brothers and sisters, and this is what Paul is hitting on, is that idolatry, the worship of a false god, and immorality right, doing immoral things are twins. Those two things go together. If you live an immoral life, you are worshiping a false god. And if you worship a false god, it will lead you to an immoral life. If you think that was just about the ancient world, you're crazy. Brothers and sisters, what do you hold in your heart as that which will make you happy? What is it, what's the thing you find yourself clinging to that's going to fulfill your life? Because I tell you right now, whatever that is, that thing is your God. And in the modern world, we have many of the same gods the ancient world did. We have gods of beauty. We have gods of power. Some people today, I am convinced, worship the government. They think the government and politics, whatever kind of bent of politics you subscribe to, that that is what will save the world. That is what will make everything okay. That is what will give meaning and direction to our lives. It's a form of idolatry. Pleasure, right, is one of the biggest ones. We look to alcohol and drugs and sexuality, to entertainment, to technology. We substitute those things and we place them in God's spot. Idolatry is so dangerous. It's so subtle. That which you love, that which you hold above all else, that to which you give your time and your heart and your thoughts. 
Brothers and sisters, that is your God. And learning how to worship is about learning who God really is. Another thing we think about God in the modern world oftentimes is we think that what it means to worship God is just if you have good intentions. Right? This is one of the biggest heresies out there today. Is as long as I have good intentions, it's all good. Brothers and sisters, lies are powerful and they are evil. Lies are powerful and they are evil. Right? That when you subscribe to a lie, it begins to gain power over you. An interesting line, I just have to bring this up. It's not completely related, but somewhat. We think that good intentions are all of it. Do you know yesterday, or I'm sorry, Friday, Ireland legalized abortion. And I bet you everyone on the other side of that issue from us, all the people out there who wanted abortion to be legal, I actually think all of them have good intentions. I really do. I mean, maybe there's a couple of big jerks out there who don't. But I think for the most part, people who are pro-abortion, they have good intentions. What they want to do is they want to help women, and they have fears about where young women's lives are going to go if they don't have abortion. But they've bought a lie. They've bought a lie that it's okay to kill a human person to fix a problem. And that you and I get to decide when a life begins. It doesn't just matter if you have good intentions. The truth matters. In John chapter 4, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. And he tells her that God seeks men and women to worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. One way that you could put things today on this Feast of the Holy Trinity is that Jesus Christ came into our world to free us from idols. Brothers and sisters, the truth will set you free. You have to, if, if you love things that are beneath you, right? If you love just entertainment and pleasure and comfort and power, those are not all bad things, but if you love them too much, they will degrade your life. They will make you less than you were created to be. God is a living God, right? In Jesus today, he reveals to us that God is this mysterious trinity. So let's go back to Pompey. One of the things that empty space in the temple, the Holy of Holies, what it's supposed to, why is it empty? Here's one reason, we're going to hit a second one here in a second. The first reason the Holy of Holies is empty is because God is beyond what we can understand. God is beyond what we can understand. One more time for the Trinity. God is beyond what we can understand. My friend, Father Peter Musset, there was a CD the seminary put out before I actually entered seminary, and they interviewed different seminarians and he was on there, and they were asking him questions. And I don't know what the question was, but he said, I hit the snooze button three times every morning in honor of the Blessed Trinity. <laughs> so I was like, amen. 
And he does do that. Where was I? <laughs> Idols, right? You and I, we project onto God. And the, and the world today, it's so easy for us to say God's like me. And the Jews knew that he wasn't. Right? People talk to me all the time and they say, you know, Father Brian, I think God's like this. I think God's like that. And I'm always too nice to say it because I don't want to get in a, in a fight and polite conversation. But I always want to say, how do you know? How do you know God's like that? What if you're wrong? Have you seen God? Has he spoken to you? Have you died and seen heaven? Or are you just projecting that's one of the greatest dangers of human life is that you and I can make God, and hear this, you and I can make God in my image, in my likeness. And that's what an idol is. It's a lie that we project onto God. The first step of being a religious person, not even a Christian, but if you're going to be a really religious person, the first thing that you have to know is that you are not God. You are not God. And that the only way that we can really speak about him, and that's what the Jews were saying when they had no images of him, is if he reveals himself to us. That's so important. By the way, Catholicism is not the only religion that believes that. Christianity has always believed that. Islam believes that. Buddhism believes that. Hinduism believes that. Any religious tradition with any depth to it knows this reality. So idols are dangerous. That's the first thing. Brothers and sisters, if you're going to worship God in spirit and in truth, Jesus, I want to smash my idols before you. But I need to know who you are. Here's the second truth about why that temple, when Pompey walked in, why there was nothing there. Here's the second truth, is that if you read Genesis 1, right, and you all know Genesis 1, and let me just say it, I've said it before, Genesis 1 is not about how God created the world. That's not what Genesis 1 is about. And all major Catholic thinkers have always known that from the very beginning. Genesis 1 is not about how God created the world, it's about why he created the world. In Genesis 1, we don't have time to do this. I was kind of just one more kind of aside here. This week I was prepping and I was, I was listening to some different sermons on the Trinity. And one of them I listened to was an evangelical pastor. And he was great. He gave a great sermon. And uh, at the beginning of his sermon, he got up and he said, you know, there's some churches out there where they only allow a 20-minute sermon." He's like, can you imagine that? And I was like, would you please come speak at my church? <laughs> we gotta get these Catholics to like, you know, we could be here a while. I have to change mass times. What Genesis 1 is about, brothers and sisters, we don't have time to go through all the texts describing this, but Genesis 1 describes the creation of the world as the creation of a temple. Genesis 1 very strongly shows God creating the world as a place of worship, as a temple. 
And there's lots of ways we know that, but when Moses builds the tabernacle in the wilderness between Exodus 24 and 31, it mirrors the creation of the world. The world was created so that you and I might know the truth about God. It was not created for your comfort. It was not created for your pleasure. It was not created so that you would have an easy life. The world was created so that you would worship the true and living God. The world is a temple. That's what it is. So you walk through Genesis 1, and God creates the heavens and the earth and the sky and the sea and the dry land, and he creates uh, the sun and the moon and the stars of heaven and the birds and the fish, and then on the sixth day, he creates the animals on the dry land and then Adam and Eve. And it's like you're walking through a temple. And guess what's at the center of a temple? We already established this. If you can't remember back to the beginning of the sermon, you need a longer attention span. What's at the center of a temple? An image of that God, right? The statue of the God who's there. And in Genesis 1, right, verses 26 and 27, is a verse we should all know. In Genesis 1:26, we come to the center of the temple. God's created all these different pieces of the temple. And he's created all these different things according to their own kind. He says that over and over again. He says, God created the sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds. In verse 24, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. Verse 25, God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the cattle according to their kinds and everything that creeps upon the ground according to its kind. Back all the way in verse 12, the earth brought forth vegetation and plants yielding seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And so when we come to the center of the temple, we find Adam and Eve. And we think it's going to say, and so then God created man and woman according to their kind, but it doesn't say that. Genesis sets you up to think that man is going to be created according to his kind. But in Genesis 1.26, it says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God, in verse 27, God created man in his own image. Do you know what the word image is? In Greek, it's icon. It's that. And icon, that's a word used, that image, literally means image, is a word used for a statue at the center of a temple of a god. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Now, did you catch one thing there? The Jews didn't know this. But did you, did you hear what God said in Genesis 1.26? He says, let 
us. Make man in our image after our likeness. He doesn't say, let me make man after my image. He says, plural. The reason Jews cannot have images, in the Old Testament, you might not know this, before the coming of Christ, images of God are forbidden. And the reason why is because the only thing that can image God is the love between a husband and a wife. Because God is a living God. He's not a God of stone or of wood or, of an, or an image of our own creation. And the early Christians understood, brothers and sisters, that this, that verse right there, Genesis 1.26 and 1.27, was God's first hint to us that he is a trinity. There's so much more I want to tell you, but I want to leave you with two concrete things today. The first one, just to remind you, you are not God. Idolatry is an evil thing, and it is dangerous, and I really challenge you, you should go home today and think about the idols in your life and you should smash them before the living God. Money cannot make you happy. No other human being, by the way, can make you happy. Pleasure cannot make you happy. You will not live forever. You will not stay young. Those are idols and you should smash them before the living God. First John says this, sorry, one more scripture verse. First John, the last verse, he says, we know the Son of God has come and given us understanding to know him who is true. And we are in him who is true and his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. My little children, Keep yourselves from idols. If you worship the true God, you become like him. You become true. You find freedom in life. And then here's my last point today. God is a trinity. The natural thing for us to think about God is that he is solitary and isolated. It's not true. You and I are made in the image and likeness of God. And what that means, brothers and sisters, is the only way you will ever find life is in communion. Right? God is a trinity. So the way that works is that Jesus, and I talk about this a lot, but repetition is the mother of learning, so deal with it. Jesus... It's not just kind of this, remember, well, let me just tell you again. If you go to the Basilica in D.C., the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception, there's this image of Jesus, and he is super ripped. He looks just like me. You knew I was going to say that. Um, but it, it can kind of get this image that Jesus is just this, man, I'm, I have got everything together. I have everything, and I'm all powerful. And he is. 
But you have to purify your image of God. You have to purify what you worship and who it is you worship. Jesus does not live from himself. Jesus' whole life, and he says this all over the Gospels, everywhere. Jesus' entire life is not his own. His life is from the Father. His heart and his mind are always with his Father, always. When Jesus makes decisions, he doesn't sit down and make a decision. He goes up and he prays all night on hillside. Before he chooses the 12 apostles, he prays the entire night through. When he goes places, the Holy Spirit directs him. Jesus is not autonomous. He lives from the Father by the Holy Spirit. To be a Christian means you have to learn how to live in communion. It means you have to stop living for yourself, from yourself, and by yourself. It means that you have to learn how to live from something greater than yourself, from God. Jesus, today, Lord, our hearts yearn for communion. Lord, my heart yearns for communion. Jesus, grant us a true image of you. Help us to reject lies. Lord, help us to have that image of you that draws us into truth and light and freedom. Lord, will you smash our idols? Jesus, help us to disavow the things that, that hold us captive, the lies we've believed. May we know that they can never give us life. They can never fulfill us. Jesus, free us from those twins of idolatry and immorality that we might worship you, the Father, and the Spirit, the only true and living God.